Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. Welcome back to the Understanding Body Matters podcast. We have a really special guest all the way from the US, Carolyn Costin, and we will be discussing the topic on what is healthy eating, which I think is a really important topic because many people, especially struggling with an eating disorder, are unable to find that middle ground about what is healthy food, what are bad foods that they may classify as bad foods, especially fear foods as well. So we do touch on that in this episode, but we hope that you are able to gain some insight on what healthy eating means and why individuals may have certain fear foods. So we hope that you enjoy and stay tuned. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the Understanding Body Matters podcast. We're really excited to have you on board all the way from the US at the moment. So thank you for coming on board. Thank you for having me. Perfect. So for those who may not know who you are, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself so people can understand what you have been doing in the eating sort of field. Um, yeah, just a little bit more about yourself. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I will try to give you the cliff note version because it's been a 40 plus year career in eating disorders. Mm. Um, starting with my own eating disorder when I was a um, adolescent and, and probably the main thing to know is that, you know, I, I became, I became a therapist, uh, and then I began treating people with eating disorders be, out of a fluke. Someone, I was a high school teacher also, and someone said, there's this girl who has that thing you had, you know, so I treated her and, and, and she had anorexia and I just felt like I understood her and, uh, she got better. And then someone else referred a friend who had bulimia and this was in 1979 or 80. Wow. And so I just started, people started hearing about me and this girl who had recovered because I was in my uh, early 20s. Anyway, I went on to um, run some hospital programs and I opened the first residential treatment center in the United States and that turned into a huge company and I sold it in 2016. And what I'm doing now is um, training people to be eating disorder coaches, like there's sober coaches and life coaches and, you know, coaches for all kinds of things, but there just weren't for eating disorders. So mm-hmm. I'm taking mostly people who have lived experience. Um, I would say 98% of the coaches who train with me are recovered themselves and um, teaching them how to like be in the trenches and help people with their eating disorder behaviors at the times, you know, when they're not in a session. It's one thing to have a session with a therapist or a dietitian and kind of know what you're supposed to do. And then you're out in the world trying to make it happen. Go to the grocery store or go to a restaurant and try pizza for the first time and, you know, or not binge in the middle of the night when you wake up and want to binge. And so coaches are there to be in the moment through texting or video or in person. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing now. And I've written a few books about eating disorders. So there you go. <laughs> a quick summary, but no, I think it's amazing what you are doing. I think you've definitely filled an area that wasn't really prevalent. Like it, I guess you were the sponsor of a lot of people that are struggling with eating disorders, which I think is an amazing resource for those people to have. So you're definitely going to make a massive impact on a number of individuals for sure. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of a game changer, this coaching thing. And I'm hearing from all over, from families and from clients and from um, psychiatrists and and uh, psychologists that, you know, that this is really helping them. It's not, a, it's not um, to be different. Let's see, it's not to take the place of therapy or seeing a dietitian, it's an adjunct. And so I'm hearing from these people saying, yeah, it's really helping my clients make those behavior changes, you know? And there's a lot of them in Australia. I have quite a few coaches in Australia. Oh, you do now? That's amazing. Yeah, I would say there's at least a dozen and there's probably a few more in training. I have 85 coaches in 15 countries right now. So it's very exciting. It's very exciting. God. Is that hard to juggle with all the time zones? Well, um, no, not really, because most of the stuff isn't live. They mm. have to take, they have to do their coursework and submit it to me. And then I grade the coursework and send it back. They have to okay. listen to their sessions and send me the sessions on a secure line. And then I listen and then I provide feedback for their sessions. So most of it is not, sometimes I'll say, I want to get on the phone with you or I'll want to get on a video conference with your client and, and, and try to help if I feel like the coach needs a little help or something like that. But most of the stuff, it's only when I want to have Zoom calls with uh, supervision with a several coaches at once that I have to coordinate, oh my gosh, London, mm. Spain, Canada, Australia, that, that gets a little bit hard, but that doesn't happen all that often. Okay. Well, it's still amazing. You've got such a global reach. I think this is a very high in demand area for like everywhere, internationally, everywhere. It's amazing. Well, you know, it's important because there is just so many things that have to happen if you have an eating disorder and there are so many things that happen in your, your brain kind of gets hijacked. You, mm -hmm. you, you might want to get better, but these behaviors become very habitual and very entrenched and you have a lot of fear, a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. So having someone sit with you, it's one thing to have on your meal plan. Okay. You need to add carbs this week to your, you know, lunch and dinner, but it's another thing to then go and do it and to sit there and to face that fear. So yeah. I'm training people to do what we did for them in residential treatment, but to do it in their own lives you know absolutely what well, is amazing to hear i guess our next question which we ask each guest when they do come on our episodes just to get to know our guests a little bit better is a high and low of your week um uh well i had a high yesterday i actually was invited to lunch with two uh, a, a former therapist who used to work for me and two former patients who had been in my residential program, I'd say about 12 and 15 years ago. Wow. And they're both recovered and they're both, one of them has become a coach and is doing a great job working as oh, a coach. And one of them has her own, a couple of podcasts and she does some writing. And yeah, I went and met them for lunch and to see people that when I met them were so ill, you know, unwell and and really struggling yeah that was high so we got to go out to lunch together and just have a good time you know and yeah that that's probably the the high the low i think 
Oh my gosh. Can I say anything? Yeah, absolutely. Anything. I'm going to say it's the news coverage about Ukraine and what's happening with families and what's happening with all the people who have had to leave their homes and the, Mm. you know, I can't, it's on my mind a lot. So honestly, that's, I'm sure a lot of people would say that right now. Mm. It's hard to not think about it. It's everywhere and it's really hard to see and hear. Um, But I do know there's a lot of effort going in from like everyone all around the world are doing what they can, which is amazing. But yeah, that's amazing to see. There are some good things to that that I can take stock in, you know. Yeah. And I just interviewed a coach on my on my Instagram and put it up yesterday, whose family um, were immigrants from Ukraine uh, when she was very very young, and she's a coach who wants to be an eating disorder coach, but she wants to specialize in marginalized communities like immigrants who are in a different culture and having to eat different food. And so I was happy to do that and put her up on the Instagram thing, but it's just, you know, the, the it's anyway, we can move on. But uh, if you ask me, that's got to, and I'm being honest, that's kind of on my mind. Absolutely. No, mine too. I think a lot of people's as well, but I think it's important to even address it as well because I know we are limited in what we can do that actually makes a big difference but it's still good to speak about so that it's not going unnoticed as well I think yeah. it's important yeah exactly so I guess we'll dive straight in this episode we are trying to cover I guess what healthy eating means because those who are obviously struggling with an eating disorder or poor body image it's hard to find that middle ground on what is healthy to them which it is, I guess it, that definition changes from a range of different individuals, but what does healthy eating mean to you? You, you know, it's such a tricky word too, because it's changed over time mm-hmm. and because there were so many camps in terms of nutrition. So if you're going to look at the, you know, the keto diet, for example, you know, they're going to have their own definition for what they think healthy eating is you know, and, and there are a lot of different look at, or a vegan diet, or, you know, or a vegetarian or a gluten free. So here's what ultimately what I think is that it has to be healthy in a variety of ways, because healthy is such a weird word. So I think it has to be healthy for you in terms of your physical body, but also in terms of your desires, you know, your psychological, how you feel um, psychologically, and and also um, for joy and having fun. I think a healthy diet is one that incorporates all those three things because, uh, for example, I was listening to a session recently of a woman who's doing the keto diet, but she thinks it helps her physical body, but she's so depressed doing it that every once in a while she just breaks down and then goes on these carbohydrate binges, you know? So you can't ultimately say that's a healthy path for her. So to me, it's something that you can do and you can do for the rest of your life. I always tell people, don't do anything like any kind of diet plan that you don't feel like you can do for the rest of your life because you wanna get settled into this way of eating that satisfies your brain, your desire, and your, you know, your physical body. Mm-hmm. And so that's a long way. I haven't ever written that out, but that's a long, long explanation. But, but I'll say one more thing about it. it it's, a, it's a way of eating 
that is balanced. So mm-hmm. you are you do not find yourself in a position where you get too far out of balance one way or the other and you have freedom in terms of your choices. So someone would say, you know, healthy eating has to be where you're following these guidelines and whatever and eating, you know, organic, you know, high nutrient food. But what about when you want to just go have popcorn at the movies? Mm -hmm. So that's that's a bit different. And that is the joy part. That is the fun part. That's the social part. So I think you have to consider all those things. Yeah, it is definitely finding that middle ground. I do feel like, especially individuals struggling with eating disorders, fear a lot of foods or find foods as bad foods, which ultimately means they are restricting themselves a lot of the time, which obviously a lot of the time ends in a binge, which can be a really, really hard cycle to continue to go through. And I don't think it's really realistic and sustainable. So I guess it is just trying to find that middle balance. Yeah, I always want people to feel like they're free to make choices as opposed to what happens over time with an eating disorder is your brain kind of obligates you, you know, I can't eat that cookie. And and it becomes a fear. If I eat it, what's going to happen to me? And I always teach people there's no such thing as a good or bad food when it comes to your weight. I mean, there's certainly you want to look at the nutritional value of food. You want to make sure that's why I say knowledge comes into play, awareness joy, all these different things, because you you definitely don't want to get into a situation where you're just eating for any one of those reasons, just for joy. Mm-hmm. And then you would maybe eat candy and ice cream all the time. But, but I know better that I need some protein. And so I think putting the educational piece in there is important also. I don't think we should lose sight of that. Sometimes what happens in the eating disorder field is that when people, I think there's a backlash to using the word healthy because people will say, Oh, that's a code word for diet culture, you know, meaning that you have to eat healthy food all the time. So that's why I think we have to be careful with that term. Um, But I also think the backlash happens that sometimes there are eating disorder programs that really push food on people like um, they set the agenda for people that I don't think is necessarily fair. Like, for example, telling someone with an eating disorder they can't be gluten-free or they can't be a vegetarian because they think that's in service of the eating disorder. And sometimes it is, but it isn't always. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know in some cases there are um, individuals struggling with an eating disorder that want to be vegan just so that they... I guess they think they're eating less, which is a really bad mindset to have, but it does happen. Um, but I think it was happen. really, yeah, it was really important to address anyway, because it is. I think you have to treat people as individuals as opposed to yeah. diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So I look at the individual and I want to, when did this pattern start and what's involved in this pattern of eating? You know, if someone says they want to be a vegan, well, first of all, I kind of make a difference when they're still struggling with an eating disorder, if they want to be vegan or vegetarian. Vegan is harder. It's harder to go to your friend's house. I always ask questions like, can you go on a vacation? Can you go out with your friends to a meal? Can you eat socially and not be embarrassed? Can you show up to Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner? You know, there are all these different questions you can ask that how is your choice of 
diet affecting your life in so many different ways. So it's a lot easier to be vegetarian mm. um, than it is to be vegan. And so usually I tell people, heal yourself of your eating disorder and then make these kind of choices that you want to make. But mm. while you have are still in a in a eating disorder, it's better to try to allow foods because we don't know if you're not eating them because you're afraid or because you're actually making a conscious choice about who you want to be as a person in the world. Because there are people who are vegans, and, and I know people who are vegans because they're making a, a health choice, they're making a choice about the planet. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be open-minded and just dive into it with the person and figure Absolutely. it out. Mm -hmm. 100%. I guess it kind of dives into the next question I did want to ask, um, which is why do many individuals struggling with an eating disorder fear certain foods? So I guess that's classifying food as bad and good foods. Why do individuals have certain fear foods? I mean, I think there's no doubt that we are, I mean, if you look at countries and you look at the rate as the rate, this is an interesting bit of data, as the rate of obesity goes up, the rate of anorexia nervosa goes up. And that's an interesting quandary. And I look at it and say, when the rate of obesity goes up in a country, people start having these campaigns um, about dieting and about losing weight and then you know, weight becomes this sort of stigma thing. And there are more people going on diets. When you have more people going on diets, you have a certain percentage of those people who are going to have the genetic traits, the psychological issues, the perfect storm to get caught up in an eating disorder. Because you're going to hear things like me when I first went on a diet as a kid. Um, in my teens. And so I'm reading, you know, books about the, the Atkins diet, you know, which is sort of like the old version of cutting out carbs. And then I would read the Pritikin diet and that was about all eating carbs. So whatever new thing you're reading and whatever you latch onto, there are a certain number of people, those who end up with eating disorders become very locked onto it. Mm -hmm. So you start following these rules and you kind of judge yourself based on following the rules. So if mine is to eat a diet that has very little carbs in it and I eat carbs and I feel guilty and I feel like I've broken down my willpower or whatever it is, and you do that long enough for certain people and it gets entrenched as a brain pattern, you know, and it's very hard to get out of, or you feel guilty and you feel like you have to purge it. So then it becomes this pathway that every time you eat something that you think is um, inappropriate or not on the list or out of your out of the guidelines you have to get rid of it or you have to purge it there those two behaviors become linked in your brain and then you feel almost like then it becomes those kind of things become habitual and it's, and it's hard mm. to change it is it's hard to get you sometimes get locked in the same cycle where it's constant and it's hard to get out of i think yeah, like any behavior that you do over and over again. But I tell people when they say, look, it's kind of automatic or I eat a few cookies and I feel like I have to eat the whole box, you know, 
um, I talk to them about, yeah, it feels like that because in your brain, these behaviors have become connected. But what we have to do is all we have to do is start breaking the pattern and create new neural pathways, like learning how to ride a bike or play an instrument. Yeah, it's going to be hard and wobbly or the violin's going to sound terrible when you first start playing it. But you do it enough times with support and new neural pathways are laid down and then you can be in full, full recovery. You can be fully recovered and going on your on your way where you have, you know, new behaviors that you follow. Absolutely. I guess it kind of goes into how you help clients get their own eating styles because that would link with trying to get over certain fear foods that they do have and try. Is it a matter of incorporating those fear foods slowly back into their their eating patterns, eating styles? I guess, how do you help clients get their own eating style? I know it would depend on each client because it would be very different and differ depending on their recovery. Yeah, well, well, you're right that it definitely is exposure. It can't just be talk therapy in the room, talking about their feelings and all that, because yeah. people can have insight into, let's say they had a trauma history or, you know, something, had a divorce in their family and they got really anxious and they went on a diet or whatever. You can do all that, but insight is not enough to really change these kind of ingrained behaviors. So that's why I think exposure you have to expose them to changing their behaviors and creating these new pathways. It's partly why it's how I trained therapists, but it's also now how I train coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think that every person has a healthy self in inside of them. And so what I do, instead of trying to say, you have to get rid of, you know, this eating disorder part or whatever, what I say is, look, you have a healthy part of you that's still alive and well in there some well but over time you've developed this eating disorder self that tells you don't eat that or you'll get fat or you have to throw that up and so what i'm going to do is strengthen your healthy self and that's the part of you that's going to heal you because it's always there i mean when you when you treat a person this way what i one of the things i can say to them is um like what would you feed your best friend if they came over would you tell them they have to if they eat pizza, they have to throw it up, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. would you tell your seven year old niece that? So I try to say you, you know, inside about, you know, balance and, and truth and all that you would never feed your kids like you feed yourself, you know, you would never, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I try to get them to realize that they have this part of them that kind of knows but they have another part that's sort of taken over. So my work involves integrating, I call it the split off eating disorder self, integrate it back in so they're a whole person now and their healthy self, you know, just um, runs the show again. Exactly. And I guess it is important to acknowledge that everyone's idea of healthy is very different. Um, I guess it's important to acknowledge as well. So my healthy would be like what I think is healthy for my body, yeah. Training wise, eating wise, it's completely different to anyone else's. So it doesn't mean that theirs is bad or good. I think it's just important to acknowledge that it's everyone differs, everyone's body's different, everyone's built differently. Um, yeah, and it but, and it depends on how you feel. Yeah. It depends on it depends on what your your labs may show. Someone may yeah. have to change their eating. My husband had two heart attacks and he had oh. to change his eating because of cholesterol and things like that. And I'm not looking at him and saying, oh, no, you can't, you know, reduce that. And, you know, like sometimes I think we, like I said, we have to treat people as individuals. Yep. 
Exactly. I think it definitely always comes down to that, especially with eating disorders. Yeah. And I think sometimes with programs and with, um, you know, things that are written about, about treatment and stuff, I think sometimes we miss that. And sometimes we really get into the diagnosis and start saying, oh, you can't do that because, you know, you have this eating disorder. And I think we just sometimes I think it's true. It's not like I let clients get away with a bunch of stuff. I just think it's super important to make sure we don't aren't asserting our own agendas all the time. You mm. know? Yeah. Well, I guess that links into the next question I have, which was problems with eating disorder treatment and healthy eating. Mm. Yeah. I, I said a little bit about this earlier, but, um, and probably I've said a few things about it, like, making sure we're individualized. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's easy to have these certain protocols, you know, and, uh, and I think we have to question those. I think we have to, and we have to look at people's history and cultures uh, around food and what their relationship to food was before they got sick and, and all of these things. And I also think we have to take their personal desires into account, you know, so I think it, that what happens in programs is that it's hard because the more patients you have in a program, the more you have to, you know, um, sort of stream. It can't be a restaurant and everybody gets to order their own meals. But I think you have to have a lot of choice. Um, I think if we here's what I see happen a lot in treatment programs. You have a person who has following all these eating disorder rules in their head, like I said earlier. And then they go into treatment and now they're following the treatment rules and then they leave treatment, then what? And sometimes they go right back to the eating disorder rules because mm -hmm. what they haven't been taught is how do you make choices? What are your values? What's going to be sustainable for you in your life? Um, I'm always asking people, what are you going to do? What do you stand for? Because you followed eating disorder rules before you came into treatment and now you're just following the treatment rules. So, we have to find your own, you know, North Star. What What is going to guide you? And it has to be an internal shift. If it's just about supervision and control and, you know, or they have to do this and that before, in order to discharge from the program, I think we have to constantly be working and collaborating with people. And this is kind of a slower process, you, you know? It hmm. takes a while to get someone to make the internal shift and to go slow enough that doesn't overwhelm their psyche, take small steps. Sometimes they have to treat it like a phobia, you know, and yeah. you go slow with people and you do exposures until they internalize the ability. And then once it's internalized, I mean, it kind of takes off and carries on its own, you know? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of treatment now is definitely becoming individualized to each client's needs and I guess situation which is which is very important but I guess having a multidisciplinary team as well is also really important so seeing a psychologist it might not be the only thing that helps you get to recovery especially when you are at home and trying to deal with the thoughts on your own without that treatment I guess like dietitians would help as well helping you figure out what nutritional value like you were stating before is good for you what we do need what protein we need the amount of protein we need and all of that stuff so i think having a dietitian and psychologist in your treatment team is definitely really important towards recovery as well yeah everybody has their place you know like coaches can't uh, prescribe a meal plan and coaches can't help you figure out the underlying issues 
that contributed to the cause or maybe even the perpetuation of the eating disorder or mm. your moods or anxiety or whatever. And, uh, and then sometimes people need medication. So you're right. You mentioned all these people and a physician, you know, yeah. there's all these different people on a treatment team that have their own contribution to helping people heal, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I guess my final question is where can people find you if they do want to look you up? Oh, well, I mean, they can look at my website, which is Carol. It's so easy because it's my name, carolyncoston.com. <laughs> um, and they can also send me an email, which I'm fine with, which is my first name, Carolyn, and then at, and then carolyncoston.com. Carolyn at carolyncoston.com is my email. Perfect. And I'll put all of that in the show notes as well, just so that everyone has it re readily available to them as well. But Thank you oh, so much for speaking with us today. I know that time zones are very tricky, but it was amazing speaking with you. We know you've had such an extensive, extensive background in eating disorders. So it's been amazing speaking with you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. That was our episode with Carolyn. We really hope that you were able to learn one or two things from this episode. I know I most certainly did. Carolyn has such an extensive background about with working with individuals suffering from eating disorders and coaching individuals and therapists on how to better manage clients with eating disorders for over three decades now, which is amazing. She's got significant experience and it's been lovely having an individual on our episode that has had such strong experience in this field so we hope that you enjoyed this episode as always please let us know if you have any feedback or want to post a little review for us it'd be greatly appreciated but we hope you enjoyed and we will see you in two weeks time for another episode